0: From Washington, this is the CQ Budget Podcast, your leading Capitol Hill source on how Congress allocates federal taxpayer dollars. And welcome back to the CQ Budget Podcast. I'm David Lerman, your budget tracker, and I was at the Capitol at 11.30 p.m. the other night to see the Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer hold a news conference to declare that the government would remain open after all. There won't be a shutdown because they approved yet another funding extension, something that used to be considered just a normal thing, but is now considered a major legislative victory. So one crisis averted, but lawmakers also headed home for the holiday angry and frustrated. Tempers were raging. There was pushing. There was shoving in the hallway. We saw a U.S. senator challenge a labor leader to a brawl in the middle of a hearing. And those bitter feelings won't help Congress resolve all the unfinished business they left behind. We saw conservative rebels derail the appropriations process by voting against their own party's rules that are needed to bring up spending bills, I think three times now. And they punted on a big emergency spending package sought by President Biden for Israel and Ukraine and more, even while war rages on in the Gaza Strip and Ukraine so we want to assess where things stand and where we go from here. Joining me for that conversation are Peter Cohn, the deputy news editor at CQ Roll Call. Thanks for being here, Pete.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: And Aiden Quigley, the Star Appropriations Reporter at CQ Roll Call. Welcome back, Aiden. Thanks, David. So Aiden, there won't be a shutdown, but is there much to celebrate here? I mean, I think the fact that there isn't a
2: shutdown over Thanksgiving is worth celebrating. Uh you know, I'm gonna go home to Connecticut and see my family. So I'm happy about that. But as you pointed out in your intro, you know, there's still major challenges that we're gonna to have to face as we move forward. And, you know, January mid January is not that far away, so we'll be right back at it at
0: the turn of the new year. Pete, anything to celebrate for you?
2: Exactly what what Aiden
1: said. I mean, this is we've been backed up against the Christmas wall for the last however many years. With these omnibus packages, I don't think. Uh, I mean, you know, the Freedom Caucus sort of takes credit for um, pushing this out into January, but I think that fact that we're not going to be here doing this in on December twenty third is uh, is quite welcome. I think everybody's pretty pretty happy about that. Now, okay, no. unfortunately, as um, you know, as as Eden's been picking up and sharing with us and our our readers that. Unfortunately, it doesn't absolve the appropriations staff of probably a pretty busy holiday season, Uh, unfortunately, for them and and their families. I hope they get some time to to relax and and, uh, take a breather. But um, to get this done by the first tranche of bills, if they're actually intending to do that, and Mike Johnson, the new speaker, says no more short-term CRs. So that means, in theory, they're serious about doing at least a four-bill Package or split it up into two and two, who knows what they do. But to get that done by January 19th uh, is a lot of work that goes into that. And the first, and they don't even have a deal on what the numbers are going to look like overall at this point. And that's, we're not going to get that until could be, you know, a week or so after Thanksgiving. So this is going to be pretty crazy little stretch here. So while we're celebrating and we're all very happy about that, we're not going to be here you know, uh, with our turkey and our laptops right next to it, you know, there's a lot that's going to have to happen.
2: And as as Pete pointed out, you know, that top line agreement, in my head, that's an if at this point, because, you know, Speaker Johnson is facing a lot of pressure from the right flank of the party, which he was a member of, is a member of, you could say, uh, to go under the level of the debt limit deal where, you know, you have the Senate saying, absolutely not that is we're not going to go any lower than that that's been negotiated that's settled that's the number so you know we will have to sit back and see what johnson decides to do because if he does continue to push for or if he decides to push for lower spending levels and you know we're already negotiated over the summer where this could really get drawn out and there'd be no way to avoid another cr in january or uh you know, January shutdown under that scenario.
0: Yeah, and that really is the crux of the problem, right? I mean, folks might remember we really thought we had a top line spending agreement for the year back in in the end of May when they when they uh, approved this deal to suspend the debt limit because that deal included these budget caps that everyone thought would have resolved this thing and cleared the way for appropriations, and in fact what we saw instead was conservative blowback, the ouster of a speaker and a complete disagreement over what those spending caps really mean. Uh, the Senate wanted to write their bills to those caps. The house wants to go lower. The conservatives in their caucus want to go lower still. And that's the essence of the debate. And that's why all year there has not been any agreement between the two chambers or even Within chambers, sometimes as to what these overall spending levels should be, are we any closer to resolving that because it doesn't seem like it with not much time left with the holidays coming up? I mean, is there much ray of hope there? That's
1: not not particularly. I mean, the democrats have are uh, completely dug in across the two chambers and they're basically in lockstep with most of the republicans in the senate. That the numbers that were agreed to by President Biden and former Speaker Kevin McCarthy uh, in exchange for suspending the debt limit past the 2024 elections, which was a pretty heavy ask of a lot of the Republicans to do that. Um they got, you know, these numbers that basically keep non defense spending flat. Uh and, you know, Republicans were were looking for a lot deeper cuts than that. Um defense was allowed to go up. Everybody was on board with that. Um but non-defense you know, the best Democrats could wrangle out of that was keeping it flat. And, but for the Republicans who, who say, you know, we came into office with a mandate after the midterms <laughs> to cut spending, that was nowhere near good enough. So they made, none of them voted, you know, none of the Freedom Caucus gang voted for the debt limit deal that McCarthy made. Speaker Mike Johnson, however, did, but, you know, he's got to deal with these, this group, and uh, they are not happy. About what's been going on with the CRs and the fact that um, you know Kay Granger, the Appropriations Chairwoman, her bills actually do not meet the targets. They're lower than the targets in the debt limit deal to begin with. Um, but the way she did it was such that the Freedom Caucus absolutely had a fit and said this is nowhere near good enough, even even though the, you know there's less spending than the debt limit deal would allow for. It's nowhere near low enough for us. So we're in the same, you know, back in the same soup. We've been swimming in for months uh, on this. And, uh, you know, Aiden's absolutely right. I don't who knows what Speaker Johnson is going to do, but he's got a little, little trouble on his hands here.
2: And, you know, the politics of that for Johnson are really what's driving it because, you know, we all know that if you are going to pass final – Fiscal year 2024 appropriations that will have to be bipartisan, obviously, the Senate uh, and White House are controlled by Democrats. And, you know, the Freedom Caucus members who are so upset, they're they're not going to vote for whatever ends up happening, final appropriations anyway. But from Johnson's perspective, he needs to keep the conference as on board with him as the leader as possible. Um, So that's really kind of what's going to be driving, you know, that would be his argument. That would be a factor in his decision making when he's considering where to where to go on spending levels
0: yeah, and so for for the moment you know the House and Senate are on different universes here and the the Senate bills versus the House bills there's something like seventy five billion dollars difference between them the Senate being higher uh you can argue in the context of one and a half trillion dollars of discretionary spending for the year. It's not a massive, massive difference, but it's not pocket change either. It's still That would still pay for a lot of stuff um, that has to be resolved here. And, and how they iron out these budget caps, whether they'll live by this debt deal agreement, all of that is... And, and as I say, not much time to do it. They are now on break for Thanksgiving, but it's only a week. Then they're back for three weeks, I think it is, before the Christmas break. And the other problem they face is... Um, when they come back right after thanksgiving i'm not even sure the focus is going to be on these bills because they really want to take up this emergency spending package there will be increasing pressure to get that done they you know they all want to help israel uh in its war against Hamas. they left that on the table i was talking to chris coons the senator from delaware who's close to the president who said look we have got to do this supplemental package now. And if we don't get that done, he doesn't see how the appropriations bills can get done. So I have a feeling the focus is quickly going to shift to this emergency package, which is tied up, we should say, in an immigration fight now, because the only way Republicans say they're going to approve more aid for Ukraine is if they get border policy changes at the at the U.S. southern border, which opens up a whole can of worms over immigration policies that has that the two parties aren't close to resolving. There are some quiet bipartisan talks going on to see if they can reach any compromise on that, but the early indications are there nowhere. Um, where does that leave us? And and you know, could they even can they get? The even the emergency package done before they leave for Christmas. I mean, the timeline here does not seem very promising to me.
1: Yeah, let me just say on that. There's a tendency to think of these things as sort of in their own separate universes. That there's like there's silos for each of these things. That they they happen kind of in a vacuum and aren't you know that they're they're considered completely separately from everything else that's going on. So I tend to think that's not the case, and that the supplemental is going to sort of necessarily be, be um, sort of melded into the negotiations over the top lines for FY24, that the four leaders of, of Congress are going to have to get in a room and they're going to figure out what do we do here for the, over the next uh, few months? How do we deal with the situation? The supplemental is tied together with the FY24 appropriations process, whether they like it or not, because they've got to figure out how do we process the supplemental uh, in the Senate? Well, if you're opposing some of the things that are in the, the supplemental, which has a lot of things in it that members of both parties, I think, might agree are not necessarily an emergency. Because President Biden also, remember, he introduced another $56 billion package for domestic appropriations. That uh, there are members who are saying, you know, a lot of those things in that package. Maybe you ought to be considered in the regular appropriations process. So at some point they're going to figure. Look, we're talking about fiscal 2024 appropriations right now. We're in fiscal 2024. It started back in October, so it's no longer a supplemental, you know, emergency for the prior year. It's now all part of FY 24. So let's put it all on the table and see where it shakes out. So I, you know, if they want to be able to get a supplemental through. Of course, the, they got to deal with the border situation because that's tied in as well. But you've also got other vehicles that are moving in the lame du- in not sorry, not lame duck session, but in the post-Thanksgiving session. You got the NDAA. You got to do something about the FAA reauthorization expiring. So there are a bunch of vehicles that are moving that if, if something isn't necessarily attached to the first train out of the station, it might get attached to the last train out of the station. So there's deals that can be made in the context of all these other things that are happening on, on the Hill. Not, not everything is just going to happen in its own silo. When the four leaders get in the room, they're going to be dealing with all of these issues together. The four corners of the Appropriations Committee probably, you know, no, they're going to be dealing with their own limited uh, issues limited to appropriations, but it's the congressional leaders they're going to be the ones who are driving the entire framework for what happens after Thanksgiving.
0: Sure. Um, but I mean, if, if if the emergency spending gets wrapped into the regular appropriations, uh, I don't think aid for Israel is going to wait until January or February. I, I think it's going to have to move.
1: No, no. What I'm saying, David, is that as part of the top line discussion, that they're going to have to figure out also a framework. For the supplemental,
0: the deal could be part of it, right? Okay,
1: it's not going to be. It's not going to be considered in in sort of in its own silo apart from the top line for FY twenty four appropriations. I mean, Aiden, correct me if I'm wrong here, but given the way the timing works out here, they can't just sort of. I mean, it's not. What you may see is the Senate just brings up their own supplemental and says, "Okay, forget everything else. Here we go. We're putting this giant package on the floor." we're going to dare the Republicans to vote. No, we're going to dare Speaker Johnson to, to sit on it. But then if you're Johnson, you're going to come back to that and say, look, I see what you're trying to do. I even agree with some of it, but I got a big problem in my caucus. So I can't get this through unless you give me something. And we've got to also deal with FY24 appropriations, the top lines, the fallout from the debt limit deal that a huge group of my party did not support. So what I'm saying is they need to get in a room and put it all on the table and figure out what is the framework that will allow for these spending bills to get through. And then you can break them up into different tranches and sort of have a process. You do the supplemental first in December, and then you come back and do the the you know, the, uh, regular FY24 packages in January and February. That could happen, but I think the, the precursor to that has to be the four, the four corners of the congressional leadership the top leaders and the White House probably are going to have to get in a room and figure out what that all looks like.
2: Yeah, I agree with Pete. I mean, I think lawmakers are saying they want to try to move a big supplemental in December, but it's kind of hard to see with no forcing mechanism of a government shutdown how that can work, especially when we look at the Senate and they're really stalled out on the border and there's really no clear path forward to reach an agreement on that, which Senate Republicans are saying they need, so... I, I think that at the end of the day, we will see this kind of yeah. blotted together with the uh, you know fiscal 24 appropriations. Yeah. I
1: mean, these things could move in a sequence, but you got to sort of hammer it all out together as part of a framework first. So there could be a trade, something on the border, You know, maybe Republicans get a concession on the border, and then something else move, breaks the Democrats' way as part of the NDAA. You see what I'm saying? Like the concessions are going to be traded sort of across vehicles here as we get into the post-Thanksgiving session. And all that's all that's going to be hammered out at the top leadership level with the White House in the room, you know, maybe not the president, but maybe some of his emissaries, his legislative affairs people, um, maybe the OMB director. Um, tr- you know, there's going to be some people that are going to have to from the White House that are going to have to be part of this. Maybe Secretary of State, you know, something like that. Um, going to have. There's going to have to be a big meeting or several meetings to hammer out. What do the next couple of months look like? Because we got to get Ukraine done. We got to get Israel done. We got to get some, maybe we got to get some disaster aid done. You know, they're going to figure out what are the top priorities that have to get done. And then, you know, again, if your Speaker Johnson said, okay, I'm going down the limb here for you on Ukraine. What are you going to give me over here on FY24? You
0: see what I mean? So you're envisioning some kind of super global agreement here that might tie all these issues up to cut a deal on everything.
1: Yeah, but not not necessarily as a, as a part of the same legislative package. Right, not what one bill about, but but a deal. Yeah, what I'm talking about is sort of like a memorandum of understanding that these are the things that we're going to support, these are the things that you're going to support, at the end of the day we're going to, you know, we're making sausage here. Okay? Um, and it might move in this sequence, and it might move in that sequence. And here's what's, what we're going to do with the NDAA. Here's what we're going to do with this. Here's where we're going to do with that. But we have sort of an understanding that these are the deals that are necessary to get all of these things done in a certain sequence.
2: Now, yeah, I think I, I totally agree. And I think that a big point that we've been making in the pre- past couple of days is that they really need to hammer this out in the first two weeks after They return in order to get things done on time by mid-January based on all the staff work that has to go into getting these bills negotiated and all lined up. So that's really a tall ask, especially when you consider that there's a still new speaker, you know, still getting staffed up, still, you know, trying to decide how to navigate these complicated issues and huge differences between the Senate and the House on
0: what, you know, what they want to spend next year. And then, of course, even if they get a deal on top line spending levels, you know i, I still I still kind of wonder, you know, we saw the house the House has passed seven of its twelve annual spending bills, but they haven't been able to pass the rest, and they've and the rules have gone down they they're just not able to even get them up on the floor now um because of the freedom caucus folks, the the rebel conservatives who 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 want to cut spending more deeply. Even if they get a top line agreement, it's going to be an agreement that the conservative rebels don't like. I think we know that because it has to be bipartisan. Then the question is, can they even can they move that? Can they can they bring bills to the House floor and pass rules that would allow them to bring, to bring them up? Even if there is a new top line in place, because the Freedom Caucus is not going to be happy. I mean, as we saw in both of the censure resolutions, you can just do it by suspension
2: with the margins you'll likely get. Um, that's the only, they're not going to be able to pass the rule with Republicans on any of this, as you pointed out. So it will have to be by suspension, which does require a two thirds, two thirds. It's a high bar, but it, assuming it does bipartisan agreement, Democrats have been, have shown us a couple of times that they're really willing to get in line behind Jeffries, you know, um, and, and follow the leader. So w- they, did, yeah, they, did,
0: they did pass it that way on for this stopgap funding measure. So yeah. right. That they have to rely on that they suspend the rules and require a two thirds vote to bypass all the shenanigans um over the rules. I guess that's what we're looking at then. They they blow through a um once they get a top line deal, they can blow through bills uh under suspension, hoping they get two thirds votes.
1: Well, look, Johnson's new at this, but he also is not. uh, You know, he's not a complete rube. I mean, he understands that his the people who want to do these very conservative things do not have the votes. In fact, in many cases, including very recently, they do not have the votes even to get it through the House. So, at the end of the day, to do anything other than shut the government down, you've got he Johnson knows. That he's got to have the support of both House Democrats and House and Senate Republicans and, and the White House. So Johnson's choice is very simple. Either he goes with the 20 or 30 House Republicans who essentially are going to say no to everything and just basically prefer a shutdown, it would seem. Uh, or is he gonna just going to do something that he doesn't, he's got to hold his nose and sign off on in order to just keep the trains running and keep the government functioning? That's it. That's what it comes down to. That's what it came down to McCarthy before him. So, the question is going to be for Johnson and the 20 or 30 people who don't like making deals, you know, are they going to try and sack Johnson the way they sacked McCarthy and is Johnson going to care about that? And so, you know, so we'll see McCarthy ultimately said, "You know what? Let's roll the dice. And I don't care. I'm going to, I'm not going to have the troops not paid during a war. I'm going to keep the government funded. If they want to sack me, have at it." And they did.
0: That's right. And the price of that was he lost his job. Yeah. So we'll see.
1: You know, again, you know, they're giving Johnson a, you know, a lengthy honeymoon here. Are they going to, do they really want to go through? But, you know, that's the question. Do they really want to go? We went through a month with no speaker. Nothing was getting done. None of these conservative wins. None of these policy victories they keep talking about. that are right just around the corner. We're about to, you know, we just got to fight and then we'll win. No, they're not winning anything. None of these things are going to become law. They know that, but they're going to keep fighting anyway. So that's the question. Do they want to, you know, are they going to just go through that again? Are they going to just dump Johnson? And I mean, and who's going to vote to dump Johnson? That's the thing. I mean, is it's not gonna Is it going to be Matt Gates and the eight who sacked McCarthy? Or is it going to be a new group led by, say, Chip Roy and another, you know, four or five people? I you know, are, do they really want to do that? So we're going to keep having this discussion. It's going to go on and on. And ultimately, Johnson's got to make a decision. Am I going to care about that? Or am I going to make a deal to keep the government functioning and in aid our allies in Israel and Ukraine? You know, freedom, that's a decision. The and we don't know caucus. we're not inside we're not inside Mike Johnson's head, you know, and he's gonna have these discussions with his with his caucus and he's gonna find that a vast majority of his of his caucus want to just make a deal and get and get these things done. But so then he's just he's gotta make a
0: decision. The Freedom Caucus folks did sound plenty angry as they left town holding a a little news conference uh, vowing to keep fighting, you know, saying, what have we accomplished this year? There's been nothing. We're we're going to fight for more spending. That's why we voted down these rules, because we're angry. We're ready for a fight. We're not going to play nice here. I guess the question, Aiden, is how much time do they give Johnson? Because they're expecting a lot from him, and they do say they say they like Johnson, but they also say they, they expect him to keep his word and fight for for their conservative principles.
2: Yeah, kind of circling back on, on a point made earlier, they are always going to be, the description you just said about the Freedom Caucus, you could copy-paste that into every single continuing resolution, every single big spending package that we've had over the past few years. You know, that's just kind of where they go. I mean, the question about how to, How do they look at Johnson and do they really want to go through the another round of speaker's election to get what end result is the question? You know, like what what could what will end up going differently? Unless they find some the moderates in the caucus will not pick a speaker who wants to consistently shut down the government. At least they're not going to pick someone that they think will decide to do that. You know, so unless we want to get back into endless speaker election, you know, I think that really you know, they're going to have to sit back and, and, and kind of evaluate the situation and, and decide how to move forward. But I, for one, don't want to be back covering it weeks, months long, endless speaker election until the next yes. Congress.
0: But. It has been a whirlwind. So wh- where do we think things are when we when they come back from Thanksgiving? Where do you think they pick up? I mean, do they still try to pass these spending bills that are going nowhere? Do they, you know, Will will leaders immediately sit down? I tried to press Chuck Schumer on whether um, leaders are ready immediately to start negotiating top-line spending levels. He gave me a kind of a vague response saying, yes, we know we need them. Yes, are we're going to be having these talks and appropriators. But hard to pin down exactly how serious they are yet, how committed they are, wh- when immediately they, they get down to brass tacks. Um, how quickly do do you think that happens?
1: So what what I think is uh, over the break the ha- the Senate Appropriations Committee staff are basically writing a supplemental, and then when they get back they're going to start shopping it around and make and see what it looks like, see where the where the support is. Uh, but in the meantime, they got to have other things to put on the floor. So I wouldn't be surprised if I think uh, Aiden, correct me if I'm wrong, but the Senate was looking at another one of these mini buses. With um, They're going to try to do some of the hard stuff like labor, HHS, defense. Uh, I can't remember the others that were, they were uh, in the mix. And so I could see the Senate trying to do that just because they don't really have anything. They're going to do some nominations and such, but they need to sort of, you know, they've made a commitment on both sides to go through the motions of trying to pass, pass their bills. And, you know, they argue it strengthens their hand in these negotiations by passing the bills that came out of their own, you know, committees. And I think, you know, in, in the House... They could try again on the CJS, Commerce Justice Science, and the Iran asset freeze bill that went down the other day. You know, they could probably make another go at that. But, um, so, they're you know, they're in the in the mode now of going through the motions because frankly, they don't have anything really else to put on the floor uh, while these, you know, negotiations on the top line and such go on behind closed doors. You may get the NDAA merge fairly soon if the leadership can kind of, you know, coalesce around that and make some, You know, have a sort of a sense of what's going to go in the NDAA and what might have to wait for
0: another vehicle. That's the defense policy bill, for
1: yeah, yeah. So I mean, that's considered a must-pass bill, even though they frankly don't really have to pass it, but they have for sixty-two years, so they want to keep doing it. But um, that's, I think, what's going to happen immediately when they get when they get back. But you know, nothing is really going to start. Kind of, they're not really going to pick up steam until, as we've talked about, the congressional leadership gets in that room, probably have to have the White House in there too, and figure out what is this, what are the next couple of weeks and months going to look like in terms of getting these giant packages done.
0: And I don't know, Congress doesn't really respond that well until there's a deadline. And then the next funding deadline is until January 19. So we'll see how productive they can be in the interim. Maybe some Thanksgiving turkey will help they're going to need it. They're going to have a busy couple months when they get back, but that's all the time we have for today. If you like what you heard here, you should subscribe to the CQ Budget Newsletter, which hits your inbox every morning that Congress is in session. You can find that at CQ.com. You can find all of our budget coverage and more at CQ.com or RollCall.com. Thanks again to Peter Cohn and Aidan Quigley for joining me. Thanks, guys. Thanks, David. Always a gracious host. Thanks, David. And thank you all for listening. We're going to take a break for Thanksgiving next week, but we'll be back when Congress returns. We hope you'll be there then. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.